Have you ever been to a circus? Back in those long lost days of traveling circuses, there would be huge tents with three staging areas called rings and each of them would have an act going on at the same time. The smart circus company used one tent to cover everyone, but no one was too far away from some action on one of the stages. Besides, there was peanuts. Who can hate an event with peanuts? Contests are a lot like circuses. There's a whole lot going on that the audience is oblivious to, and that's a good thing. They're there to be entertained. They don't want to know about who's cleaning up after the elephants or how the clowns got into the car. But without that organization in the background, the show just won't go on. Are you interested in public speaking or leadership skills? Then Toastmasters is for you. Welcome to Toastmasters 101, the podcast about Pathways, our education program. I'm your host, Kim Cradgy. Contests like circuses don't just happen. Unless there's some serious planning going on in the background, a contest might become a circus. It's not like we wake up one morning and say, Gee, today let's have a contest that may send a winner to the International Convention. In fact, there's a pretty rigorous organization of our contests from the club to the convention. We have a set of guidelines that's called the Toastmasters Contest Rulebook. These rules are so important that there are worldwide arguments about them. You think I'm joking? I am not. I don't know the history of the Toastmasters speech contests. I do know that all the districts are required to hold one contest per year. That's the International Speech Contest. But there are several other optional contests. I talked about them in the last episode. Someone clearly spent a lot of time figuring out the details to make these contests as fair as possible. Every few years, we have to update that rule book because someone discovers a way to challenge the rules to do something that no one ever expected, or let's be honest, to cheat. The contests are structured to divide the workload. In general, there are three leaders to the project, the contest chair, the chief judge, and the contest master or the contest toastmaster. Different districts have different titles that they call this person. The Toastmasters contest chair is the person who recruits the chief judge and the contest master. Now, if the chair is the big boss of the event, and by recruiting two people, you might think that they're done. Oh, no, no, no. There are several other important tasks. The first, and probably the most important, is to secure a great venue. At the club level, most clubs are just going to hold their contest at a regular meeting. At area and division levels, the challenge can be a lot more difficult. Area contests in District 10 are actually better attended than the division contests. I think that's because the club members will turn out to support their member who's competing, but at the division level, there's only one club represented, so the other clubs don't tend to show up. So the room size is really important. 
Stuffing 50 people into a room that barely holds 25 creates a lot of stress on the competitors and the audience. The other thing to consider is the sound in the room. For a club contest, this is simply not going to be an issue, but the area and division levels, you need a good-sized room, and that means a sound system. Even a small room stuffed with a large number of people is going to be a challenge for the speakers to be loud enough. If microphones are available, use them. If you can get lavalier microphones, then that's the best solution of all. The contest chair might also arrange for food, either a food chair or a team, or perhaps provide it themselves. At the club level, that's not really an issue. I've seen some clubs put out a snack. At the area levels, especially if the contests are in the evening or if contestants have to travel, the casual dinner might be provided. It's really all about the funds that are available. I've seen a few meals where people were asked to bring food to share, we call that a potluck around here. And those have been fun. The food chair was really creative, and she asked clubs to bring specific dishes so we didn't have one pot of soup and four boxes of cookies. Additional staff should be recruited for the registration table. District 10 has a dignitary sign-in sheet so they can be recognized at the beginning of the contest. The registration table will also have the contest programs and welcome everybody to the event. We sometimes see family or bosses show up. I like to invite people to the contest. They show the very best of what Toastmasters has to potential members. The contest chair also needs to coordinate paperwork. Toastmasters contestants are asked to fill out some forms in order to compete. Sometimes the chief judge manages the paperwork and verifies that the contestant is legit to compete. Sometimes the contest master does it, but the chair needs to be sure that the papers are there to be filled out. Toastmasters International does offer a contest kit for every different contest because the judges' ballots are different for every contest. The kits are good for every level of contest, club, area, division, district, and have everything that you need. What's more, you don't even have to buy the kit. You can download the whole package and print out what you need. You can save yourself the purchase price and the shipping costs. The single most important document you need is the Toastmasters Contest Rulebook. Seriously, this book is vital to running a contest. There's no way to run a contest without reading it several times. No matter how many contests you may have attended, competed in, or helped run, read this year's contest rule book. Rules get changed, and local traditions do not trump the rule book. This year, 2019, a major rule regarding judges was changed at the international level. This change was roundly condemned by the membership, who understood that this rule change was going to do serious damage to the area contests. Fortunately, the rule was discarded at the International Convention in Denver before it could become a problem. But that's what happens. Rules change, and they change again. Read the Toastmasters Contest Rulebook. Finally, everybody wants a paper copy of the contest program. They want a list of the competitors and the contests that they're in. I tried to do a slide on a screen once, 
It did not work. People want the program and the names. District 10 provides a template, a basic program that you can download and use where you can enter your contestants' names, usually alphabetically. It's important to note that no club affiliations should be added, no awards or levels listed, just names. If there's an evaluation contest, the test speaker might be listed or might not. I've seen both. Then again, no distinctions are listed, no awards, no DTM thing. Should the contest chair recruit the test speaker? I think that the contest chair and the contest master can determine who's going to recruit the speaker, or they can agree on someone. At the district level, in District 10, the program quality director has often imported a new speaker from outside of the district, and it's usually a really good speaker. At the club level, the test speaker might be a guest from outside the club or a member of the club. It's really up to the contest master at the club level to determine what can be done and who might be available to step in. Now let's get to a sticky thing. What order should the contest be? Now, this is my opinion. And remember that because everybody has one of their own and we all know our opinion is best and right. I think that the long speeches, like the international speeches, should be done first. That way, if a contestant is in both contests, the important one gets judged first. If they crash and burn in a table topics contest, the judges don't have that in mind when they come up for the international speech. Please don't make it hard on the judges by polluting their minds before the one contest that determines who has the potential of going all the way to the international convention in August. The order of the announcement of the winners doesn't have to be the order of the contest. And I think that there are some people who feel that they need to be parallel. I don't agree. You can save that big announcement for that international speech contestant winner for the end of the event. Really, it doesn't matter. This is all opinion. The woman I believe is the best Toastmasters contest chair in our entire district completely disagrees with me. She says she's saving the best speeches for the last. It's all opinion. If your district has a traditional way to organize a contest, you may be playing with fire to change it unless the rule book says otherwise. Then again, you might find a better way to hold a contest. Ever want to be a part of a two-ring circus? I mean, a double contest? In heavily urban communities, you may find multiple areas overlapping geographically. Cleveland is a prime example. We've had several times where there's a group of lunch clubs in one area and the evening clubs in another area. And sometimes they meet in buildings right down the street from each other or even in the same building. So we have a number of double area contests. This is smart to do when it's tough to get enough judges for both contests. Or one area only has one contestant, but they are required to host the contest anyway. There are a few tricks to making this work. Each contest must be completed before the next one starts. If Area A leads off with their international speech contests, all of their contestants must be finished and the contest master announces the end of that contest before starting the next contest for Area B. 
It gives judges time to get their next ballot out. This does save judges for the division contest, which is a constant challenge for division directors. Often when we get to the division level, all the good judges have been used up on the lower level contests. So this does preserve some for future contests. The drawbacks to double contests, well, there are a few. Judges have to get the previous contestants out of their head before the next area's contest begin. And sometimes that's hard when you've got one great speaker in one area who's already presented. Maybe a break between them? I don't know. But these contests can go really long if there are a lot of contestants. The other major dilemma that I see is the contestants who win against each other in the area contest will compete against each other in the division level contest. Does that give anyone an advantage? I can't say. It does make for a less attended division contest after all. Everybody's already seen these two competitors. If your district has areas which traditionally hold joint contests, the area directors need to talk about how they're going to arrange their contests and agree about the contest chair, contest master, and chief judge. Should the contest chair take on another role? Again, this is my opinion. The higher the contest, the more important it is to have all three roles filled. Certainly at the district level, Asking someone to double up on these roles is asking for trouble because the contest is held at the district conference and people are crazy busy already. We have three roles because the tasks need to be done in a timely fashion. And unless one is a circus ringmaster and can do three things at once, it's just less stressful to have all three roles filled and the tasks divided. But if you must take on a role, take on the contest master role. The Toastmasters Contest Master is the face of the contest. This person has to manage the contestants, the crowd, the equipment, the sergeants at arms, and the props. And paperwork! Of course, there's always paperwork. If you can fill out the participation certificates in advance, that's cool. But remember, sometimes people don't show up and another person takes their place. I highly suggest that you take my friend Debbie's advice. Use file folders. Put every piece of paper that every contestant needs into a file folder for each competitor or each officer in the contest that you are in charge of. Don't label them with names, just contestant or just sergeant at arms, because you can use these folders again and again. Briefing contestants take some time. But because we have a script for that, and you can get that at the District 10 website under resources, you can cover this material quickly and fairly. Just make sure that everyone understands the timing signals, where the timer is going to be placed, and the rules concerning originality. Each contestant will have three forms in their files. The rule book, of course. The contestant biography information form. This probably will include the title of their presentation at this contest. So it's very important that you get that. And finally, the speaker certification of eligibility and originality. Get that last form signed immediately upon arrival. 
I know some contest masters who send these forms ahead of and ask for the forms to be filled out and mailed back. You should have some of those forms available at the contest for the contestants to fill out there because sometimes the contestants are not who you think they're going to be, especially at the upper levels. Contestants drop out. They can't show up at that time or date. They get sick. Kids get sick, whatever. And then the second place or the third place winner will step up. When I'm a contestant, I can't personally do that because I don't have the correct technology. I can't return them via email. And the likelihood of me forgetting to print them out and bring them is very high. So when I'm contest master, I just avoid the aggravation and I have the forms there. One thing I've seen a contest master do that I will do in the future is they had a separate form. It had the name of the speaker and the title, the title of the speech and the speaker's name. It was exactly what needed to be said to introduce the speaker before their speech. I thought that was smart, and I will do that next time. If you've got a last name you don't know how to say based on how it's spelled, and yes, I know this problem intimately, make sure you've got the correct pronunciation. I write down the way that I say it rather than how it's spelled. If you have silent letters or difficult to say words, or names, I try to break them out so they're in syllables. If there is an evaluation contest, there are official evaluation note forms that may be required to be used. I have not seen this year's rule book, but I know it was a hot topic when these forms were first introduced. Were they mandatory? Were they exclusive? Were you allowed to use two? Could you use your own notebook? If these are going to be used, make sure that each evaluation contest has an equal number of pages. Personally, I'm a two-page evaluation user, and when I was limited to one single page, it led me to riffing the page in half. Ugh. This is the other virtue of file folders. If desks are not available for the evaluators, at least the file folder is a little bit rigid, and it makes it easier to write on the evaluation page. If I could, when I didn't have desks, I'd love to provide clipboards. This is another place where I think the 21st century is going to be intruding soon. Can someone take notes on their tablet or smartphone? I can already hear the battle lines being drawn for that one. The sergeant at arms has to be the contest master's right hand. Managing the contestants outside of the room has to be done fairly and equitably. Access to the contest room has to be controlled. Making sure that props are where they need to be when they need to be there is important. The sergeant-at-arms, or the team of sergeant-at-arms, literally guard the doors to keep anyone from coming in or out during speeches. And sometimes, once, we had an evaluator's cell phone go off in the middle of another speaker's presentation while she was out of the room. The sergeant-at-arms grabbed the purse and took it out. The contestant had had an alarm set that went off, even though the cell phone was turned off. You know, things happen. The number one you have to be to be a good contest master or chief judge is to be prepared. The number one you have to be to be a contest master or chief judge is to be flexible. Yes, that's two number one things, and you just have to be both. 
The more organized and prepared you can be, the easier your job is. Sometimes it feels like herding cats. I've been one of those cats who is particularly difficult to herd. If a contestant can't scan a form and return it, they can't email it to you. If you have a problem with the judge, you can replace them if you've recruited enough judges. One of the things that happens are speech challenges. Now, only contestants and judges can challenge on the grounds of originality. That's a thing that happens that can really blow up. If a contestant is telling a story she read and giving a speech on her reaction to it, is it original enough? Challenges are managed according to the rule book, but as contest master, the challenge will suddenly be to you to handle this space of time while the chief judge works it out. Can you tap dance, sing, do something entertaining? One time I saw a challenge that took a half an hour to resolve. People were leaving. I couldn't blame them. It had been a long night. What else could we do to fill the time? Announcements were made. Invitations to future events were extended. Dignitaries were invited up to speak. Things happen, and hopefully, as contest master, you're up to the challenge. Being the contest master means leading the show, calling up and introducing contestants correctly, maintaining silence during the minute between contestants and between contests. If there's one thing that shows me a great contest master, it's the ability to keep quiet during that time. After all the speakers are done, it's time to wrap it up. But we're not done yet. Who won? Remember those bioforms? This is when you pull them out while the ballots are being counted. As contest master, I try to interview everyone in speaker order. I give out the participation certificates at that time. I try really hard to not play favorites during this time. After all the speakers are done and the ballots are counted and the chief judge tabulates all of her ballots and the timing sheets are consulted to be sure that nobody gets disqualified for time, the winning certificates are prepped. The speakers are lined up. Third place is announced. Second place is announced. First place is announced. And thanks are given. And now the final bit of paperwork is needed. The notification of the contest winner goes to the next level contest chair, whether that's the area director, the division director, or the district contest chair. This is the chief judge last task, and the contest chair and the contest mass need to be sure that the job is done. And then... Get your file folders back. Next time, we'll talk about that chief judge role and how important it is for you to do a good job and how to use it for a high-performance leadership project. Do you know someone who would like this podcast? Both of you can go to toastmasters101.net slash subscribe and get the podcast delivered to your podcast player for free. You can also listen to the podcast on the website. Our music today is from Incompetech.com. Toastmasters 101 is a podcast production of Toastmasters District 10.